Welcome to Head & Neck Innovations, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals exploring the latest innovations, discoveries, and surgical advances in otolaryngology head and neck surgery. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Head & Neck Innovations. I'm your host, Paul Bryson, director of the Cleveland Clinic Voice Center and our Head & Neck Institute. You can follow me on Twitter at Paul C. Bryson, and you can get the latest updates from our institute by following at CLE Clinic HNI. That's CLE Clinic HNI. Today, I'm looking forward to talking with Dr. Claudio Milstein, speech scientist and my colleague now for many years in Cleveland Clinic's Voice Center. Dr. Milstein, welcome to Head and Neck Innovations. Thank you, Paul. It's great to be here. And thank you for inviting me to participate in this exciting podcast. Let's start by having you share some background on yourself for our listeners, where you're from, where you trained, and how you've come to Cleveland Clinic. All right. Well, you probably can hear my accent, which is not from Alabama, (laughs) but I was born in Buenos Aires, Argentina. I started med school in Buenos Aires, and I then shifted gears. I went into uh, study speech pathology because I was really interested in voice. And I thought I was going to learn everything there was to learn about voice in speech pathology. Well, I was kind of wrong because when I finished, I didn't know much more than I knew before I started. So I was teaching at the time at the med school in Buenos Aires, and I was teaching at the National School of Drama, Voice for Actors and Singers. And I had so many more questions about the inner works of the voice. So I decided to do research and learn about the possibility of doing a focused PhD program in the United States. So I moved to Tucson, Arizona, the University of Arizona, to uh, get my PhD. And it was, uh, you know, a, a really fascinating, you know, road. From there, I ended up doing a postdoc at the uh, Massachusetts Eye and Ear Infirmary and Harvard Med School in Boston, and I was also a research assistant at MIT, and that was a phenomenal learning experience, opened a lot of doors. From there, then uh, I started getting job offers, kind of stayed here. My initial thought was going back to Argentina, but... There were really interesting opportunities here. So I stayed. One day, out of the blue, I got a call from the former director of the Voice Center, our colleague Doug Hicks, who I didn't know at the time. And he told me that there was an opening and they knew about me from talks that I given at different conferences. And uh, they wanted to see who I wanted to interview. I came to interview. They offered me a job and I really learned about the great institution that the Cleveland Clinic is and uh, decided that that was where I wanted to be. And that was a long, long time ago. (laughs) I've been here many, many years. And the Cleveland Clinic has been really wonderful. They really supported me on my path and uh, I developed my skills and uh, continue to do research and doing a lot of clinical work here. And then, you know, we were very fortunate that you joined our team also a number of years ago, and we've been working together since. So it's good to be here talking about our past 
and present history. No, I, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. I don't think I knew all of those. Uh, I didn't quite know the whole journey, you know, sort of your educational experience, and I didn't know all the steps along the way. And so it's, it's, it's fun to hear you describe it. I have to say, you know, we've, we've shared a lot of patient care together over the years, and it's, it's fun to hear you talk about, you know, your curiosity with the voice and, and uh, treating voice disorders. You know, there's so much to it. We're going to focus today on, you know, this concept of exercise-induced laryngeal obstruction. But before we dive into that, I like to talk about just the uh, diversity of things that we see together from some of the movement disorders, the neurolaryngology to some of the, you know, atypical uh, laryngeal configurations and things that we've seen over the years. And so it's to hear you say, you know, interested in voice, it sounds, it almost doesn't do the organ as much justice as I think we see together because there's so much that we see that it does and sometimes doesn't do. And, you know, as we talk here now about some of the upper airway physiology and uh, some of the upper airway difficulties that you help patients with, it's, it's just interesting to me to reflect on, you know, how diverse a patient group that we see. Yeah, I really think that we have probably one of the most interesting practices in the country. We have a phenomenal team. Our voice center sees the most complex patients, and there's never a boring day. You know, we have collectively many, many years of experience together. And not a week goes by that one of us is scratching his head and says, hey, have you seen this before? And we call on each other and say, no, no, <laughs> this is something that we have not encountered. And that makes working, you know, as a team here so rewarding and so exciting. And as you say, the, the initial thing that got me into this path is voice, but the larynx is such a complex organ and there's so much more than just sound production. So that, that really makes it really fascinating. We'll, we'll change gears and get into um, you know, this other area of, of expertise that you've developed over the years. So we, we know exercise has many benefits but we're seeing that it can sometimes cause breathing problems, especially in younger athletes. You know, these are folks that aren't, you know, our typical patient that have a lot of medical comorbidities. Can you share with the listener, what are some of these conditions that, that you're more frequently seeing with breathing in, in athletes? There are three main conditions that I see routinely in the clinic of athletes that they were healthy with no comorbidities, and all of a sudden they start having trouble breathing, particularly when playing sports. One of those uh, patient groups is the long COVID. You know, athletes healthy before uh, contracting COVID, even a mild infection, but then they have lingering symptoms for a very long time, and they get really exhausted and with significant shortness of breath you know, with mild physical activity, where prior to the infection, they were, you know, athletes at the top of their game. Uh, the other condition is what we'll call, and we'll talk more in detail about that, is the inducible laryngeal obstruction. And the more the word gets out on this condition, the more 
patients get referred to our clinic. And the third one, which is kind of a newer small child of inducible laryngeal obstruction, as I call it, is a breathing pattern disorder. And also we'll, we'll go a little further into that later on. But these are the main three conditions that I see for athletes that are having trouble breathing when they're playing sports. Can you walk us through exercise-induced laryngeal obstruction? Diagnose it. How do you, what's your approach to treatment? You know, maybe just tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. So inducible laryngeal obstruction is a functional disorder. What, what does that mean? It means that there is no anatomical problems. There is no pathology that you can see when you look at the larynx. It looks healthy. It seems to be functioning okay until you put the larynx into certain actions, and that's where the malfunction or the dysfunction becomes more evident. And there are several other functional disorders in the larynx that affect every single one of the laryngeal functions. When it affects voice, is a functional dysphonia. When it affects swallowing, it's called muscle tension dysphagia. When it affects breathing, it's called inducible laryngeal obstruction. So it's interesting because this is a condition that until the mid-80s, not many people knew about, and it's still relatively unknown. So there are two major groups of inducible laryngeal obstruction, one which is irritant-induced. So the trigger is either acid reflux or any kind of, let's say, strong smells, perfumes, chemicals, or anything that the patient is exposed to that triggers that reaction where the larynx basically starts constricting, narrowing the airway, and resulting in shortness of breath that can be from mild to severe. And when it's severe, patients can end up, you know, with frequent visits to the emergency room. The other big group for inducible laryngeal obstruction is that where the symptoms are triggered by physical activity or exercise. And the patient populations seem to be a little different. For the chemical-induced or irritant-induced is older patients, let's say in their mid-40s and up. And for the exercise-induced, there tend to be, you know, younger adults or kids. You know, I, I see patients, you know, from sick age seven, eight and up. I think you mentioned earlier that this can be uh, frequently misdiagnosed or that patients will uh, sometimes report to the emergency department just given the severity of symptoms and how bad they can feel during an attack or an episode. Can you share a little bit more about uh, you know, the concept of misdiagnosis or, or perhaps incomplete understanding? This is a condition that given that it's relatively new, the understanding of it, it's frequently misdiagnosed for other conditions. For the irritant-induced, usually it's misdiagnosed for angioedema or anaphylaxis. These are the severe cases that end up in the emergency room. For the sports-induced, the most common misdiagnosis is asthma and sports-induced asthma. And most patients that come to the clinic for evaluation have 
been given in the past a diagnosis of sports-induced asthma, but the problem is that the treatments for asthma and the asthma inhalers don't seem to help. So, you know, they continue to seek something that will make them better, and that's how, how they end up in the clinic. And I suspect maybe their pulmonary function testing and some of the other traditional metrics that they would diagnose asthma with would be inconclusive or, you know, within what would be interpreted as the normal range. So they, they, they perhaps carry the diagnosis, but have not had success or resolution of symptoms with traditional treatments. Right. And it gets a little bit more complicated because inducible laryngeal obstruction can coexist with asthma. So that's why we work very closely with pulmonary and allergy colleagues, because the asthma aspect of it needs to be managed from them, and the more functional issue is managed from, you know, our standpoint. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, in, in other podcasts that we've done on head and neck innovations, we've talked about tumor microenvironments and and things like that. And I sometimes think of the larynx and upper airway as its own sort of microenvironment of allergens and sensory dysfunction and motor issues. And, you know, it's sort of a whole milieu, if you will, of things to try to uncover and, and treat. Absolutely. So one thing that we haven't done yet is actually describing what happens with this condition. Yeah, go on. What happens? Laryngeal obstruction. Yeah. So what happens is that there's some kind of sensory malfunction that triggers a miss, like, like the movement of the vocal cord starts almost in, in reverse. So in general, when we breathe, the vocal cords tend to abduct or come apart to leave more space for air to go into the airway. And when we play sports or do intense physical activity, that separation of the vocal folds is usually greater because we need more oxygen and therefore there is a larger space to get air in. In this condition, the vocal cords start actually closing during the inhale and reducing the space that we have for breathing, resulting in that sensation of shortness of breath. And oftentimes the condition is intense enough and the narrowing of the airway is significant enough that the patients start noticing a stridor or a sound during the inhale produced by that approximation of the vocal cords. Yeah, and so it can be quite dramatic when these are happening. Um, you know, people can hear the sound, right? And, you know, if they're in a sports environment, you know, perhaps their teammates or, or other opponents might hear them, you know, breathing. Well, it's not just the, uh, the stridor that can be frightful for the patient, the family, and teammates. But also, once it starts, it's usually accompanied by some other symptoms that can include, you know, dizziness and nausea and blurry vision, and in more extreme cases, a vasovagal reaction. And these kids, you know, when it's severe enough, can be also be uh, rushed to the emergency department because, you know, the condition is, you know, frightful. Yeah, I mean, and, and over time, you can imagine the distress that the, that the patient or athlete feels, uh, the parents, other teammates, you know, real significant quality of life issue for, for everyone involved. Absolutely. And, and, and they start 
noticing, and, and most of these are competitive athletes, and they start realizing that their you know, performance is suffering and they are not being able to play at the top of their game. And I've seen anybody from, you know, high school kids playing just for fun all the way to Olympic athletes. And the performance is severely affected. Can you walk us through sort of the treatment approach? Yeah, the treatment that we are currently doing at the uh, Voice Center of the Cleveland Clinic is a treatment protocol that actually I developed over years of working with this condition. And it has two components. One component is a retraining of the respiratory system to work in a way that doesn't create any extra tension in the torso, in the shoulders, in the strap muscles. And the second component of the treatment is a learning of how to voluntarily open the glottis or the vocal cords when they are closing up. So you retrain yourself into breathing in a different way, which is more relaxed and without any involvement of the upper torso. And at the same time, you learn how to, to pay attention to the very early signs that your larynx is about to start acting up and you learn how, what to do to open up the vocal cords so you can continue doing intense physical activity without the respiratory system being affected. As you look at it, is it, uh, you know, is this something where I'm sure everybody's different, but this retraining, this sort of control and, you know, sort of adaptation uh, that some of the patients or adjustments is the, that the patient makes, is this something that you've seen to be, you know, reasonably intuitive for the athlete? Is it something that, you know, they're used to training? Does it kind of take a, a similar commitment as they go through sort of this rehabilitation to, you know, hopefully get back to their prior level of performance? Well, what, what is great about this treatment is that it's short term. Usually it takes three to four respiratory retraining sessions for the symptoms to improve significantly or to resolve. It does require daily training. So for the training sessions, they learn a bunch of exercises that need to be repeated over and over and over until they develop good muscle memory and they can start kind of eliminating respiratory habits that they have very ingrained and they can introduce healthier respiratory you know, form. But for most people, the uh, improvement is you know, very quick and quite dramatic. So they go from being fearful of doing, you know, physical activity to go back to playing to the top of their game. And that's quite remarkable to see. I'm sure it's very gratifying and I'm, um, I know it's very gratifying mm -hmm. uh, to, to, see the, to see the work you've been doing. I noticed, you know, with this Milstein method as I'll call it, uh, maybe it's, it's called something else, but uh, I understand you have a assessment tool for it. Are you able to share anything about um, th this validated instrument or are you attempting to validate this instrument to help uh, measure your outcomes um, in treatment with this approach? Sure. So one of the things that we found out is that there's a condition called breathing pattern dysfunction. This is something that is usually looked at by pulmonary specialists in patients with COPD or asthma. And the assessment tools for this condition is looking at patients at rest, 
when they are just sitting or standing. It's an observational tool of looking at respiratory patterns. Now, there was no assessment of this kind of breathing pattern in athletes or in people where you're taxing the respiratory system. So I developed this tool to observe breathing patterns when you really tax the system by doing high ventilatory output tasks of heavy breathing, and then developed a tool to rate it to give you a score to see whether you know the, the score is high enough to indicate that they have a breathing pattern dysfunction or not. So we compared a large number of athletes with inducible laryngeal obstruction and with breathing pattern disorder to a group of athletes with no breathing problems. And we implemented this rating tool on both, and we saw that there was a significant difference in the scores for each of the six different parameters that evaluate how somebody's breathing when you're taxing their respiratory system. You know, that, that is uh, something that now we're doing with pretty much all our patients. We are rating their breathing patterns using this tool. We just submitted this for publication. It is not validated yet, but after the first publication on, you know, describing this method for evaluating breathing, then we're going to continue with other studies to validate it. Yeah, fantastic. I, I really uh, commend you on on this work. I, I love the, you know, sort of the observational component and seeing some of the perhaps limitations of the of the current observational method and then applying it to you know, what you're seeing in these patients, it's, uh, that's fantastic. You know, as we wrap up, you know, any take-home messages for the listeners? If we could talk on and on, you know, maybe we'll get to, you know, have another topic for another, another time, but uh, any take-home messages, you know, regarding this work that you're doing? Any? Sure, there, there are many. The first one is, if you know somebody that is having trouble breathing when they're playing sports, and they are not getting better when they use inhalers, you know, maybe bring up the possibility that maybe what they have is not asthma. A lot of times, you know, just listening to what the problem is or asking the right question. Most of the time for somebody with asthma, they will have more trouble breathing out. Now with inducible laryngeal obstruction, the difficulty is with the inhale breathing in. And if you just ask, that simple question is one that may start gearing you towards the right diagnosis. This is something that we're sharing with our pulmonary colleagues also to learn the differentiation between wheezing and strider. Because when athletes develop some kind of noisy breathing, they will all say, well, I wheeze. And, you know, with just a couple of simple questions. Well, is this an actual wheeze on the exhale or is it strider that it's a noisy breathing when you breathe in? So very, very simple take-home messages that can allow pretty much anybody to start figuring out what kind of a problem they're dealing with. That is great. It's been uh, a real pleasure to, to chat with you today. You know, for our listeners to learn more about the Cleveland Clinic Voice Center, please visit clevelandclinic.org slash voice. That's clevelandclinic.org slash voice. 
and to speak with a specialist or submit a referral to our Head and Neck Institute, please call 216-444-8500. That's 216-444-8500. Dr. Milstein, thanks for joining Head and Neck Innovations. Dr. Bryson, it's been fun talking to you. I really uh, appreciate the invitation to participate in this podcast, and hopefully it was a topic that's interesting to some of our listeners, and they will be on the lookout for this kind of condition. Thank you much. Thanks for listening to Head & Neck Innovations. You can find additional podcast episodes on our website at clevelandclinic.org slash podcasts, or you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic Head & Neck Institute experts on our ConsultQD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org slash neck. Thank you for listening, and join us again next time. Thank you.